Mary was deeply touched by the resurrection of Lazarus. This is an interesting time to study. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. This is Bible Discovery TV, where we are studying from the Gospel of John chapter 12. This is a good one. And let me tell you something, we're gonna study that in about two minutes, so make sure you make time to join us. Right now, Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. I am also going to be focusing in on John 12 and Mary's anointing of Jesus. Ryan? Well, in my segment today, I'm actually going to be continuing my study on the spiritual food that Jesus offers. All right. That's, that's very interesting, actually. And Janice? Today, my segment's called Supper with Jesus. All right. We've got a lot going on. They're starting in about 15 minutes time. I'm doing it in about two minutes time. Janice is going to do it in about 17 minutes time. So, Make sure that you make time and join us as we continue on. Open up your Bible guide and let's look at what God has told us. John 12, 1 through 8. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial." For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 is what we study today. You know, God isn't just all-knowing. He sees our hearts and knows our reasoning we read in John 12 that it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and Martha, who anointed Jesus with expensive oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, deeply touched by Jesus Christ, Mary wanted to honor him by giving him something of deep significance. This seemingly spontaneous event occurred six days before the Passover. Jesus had arrived in Bethany where he had been welcomed into Lazarus, Martha, and Mary's home. And Jesus understood the deep significance of Mary's offering, but not everyone appreciated it. John tells us that Judas Iscariot took offense to her gift, arguing that the oil could have been sold and the money given to the poor. John made sure to reveal a more sinister intention. Judas apparently stole money from the offerings given to Jesus Christ. Again, God knows all of our hearts, even people that they do not know, God knows. In this reading, we see two individuals on opposite sides of the fence. 
Mary, who gave much, and Judas, who only presented as much as he wanted and pretended to give. Now, this giving and this offering and these offerings are tied together with loving the Lord. The giving or the offerings is tied together with loving God. That is absolutely amazing. Now, I like to say it this way. Giving is a kind of worship. It is worship because it's what we live for. It's how we live. And if we give to God, that indicates that God is the reason that we live. Now, that's the truth. I have a lot of people say to me, well, I don't give because I'm not under the law. But I, I want to tell you something, my friends. I do give because I love the Lord. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the law. I give because I love the Lord. And that becomes very, very important. Well, take your Bible and turn to it today as we read this. This is absolutely fascinating. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Mary with the oil. And uh, this is a good place. If you don't have a Bible guide, I would encourage you to write or call. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. If you go there, click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. And thank you for your donations. That's very important today. And we, we appreciate that very much. May the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Today, Mary. Father, I pray today as we look at this, as we study it, and as we focus on it, I pray that you would teach us your way and show us your paths. Because your way and your paths are very different than our ways and our paths. Let me tell you, Father, help us to have the courage and the ability to navigate our ways through your paths and ways. In Jesus' name, and we said together, amen and amen. So let's turn over here to chapter 12 and let's look at the first three verses. This is interesting. We're going to slow down a little bit. Then six days before the Passover. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now watch this, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, of spikenard, very expensive oil. And she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. What an amazing thing. You see, Mary was deeply touched by Jesus Christ and his resurrection of Lazarus. She was totally changed. You see, when we are touched by the Lord, it deeply affects our giving. Now, Mary, there are a couple of things to, to note here. Her hair was important. The hair in the ancient people, their, their, the women's hair, was very significant. And so she wiped his feet with her hair. Talk about ultimate humility and talk about amazing giving with this very costly oil. That is stunning. Beloved, as we continue, we're going to learn more in chapter 4, or chapter 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, that is Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, 
but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used it to take whatever was put into it. Very interesting. Judas is revealed for who he was and what he thought of the offerings to Jesus. The Lord sees our giving and how leaders spend his money. God sees how we handle the offerings that are given to him. And he understands what's in our heart. So this is important. When we give to the Lord, our offerings are registered in heaven, not on earth. But when the people who receive our offerings, when they use that money to spend upon the Lord's, the Lord's work, God sees every dime, sees every check we sign, sees every single penny we spend. And I want to tell you something that's really important in a society that we live in today. Much of the West is consumed by commercialism and the idea of having a lot of money. But Jesus Christ says, what's more important, having a lot of money or having eternity? My suggestion would be have eternity. And many times you can have both. But the idea is that we, we have an eternity that's our motivation. All right, John chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus pointed not to the circumstance, but to his presence in the offering. Not the circumstance, but his presence in the offering. The Lord knows what we give and why. A lot of people say, well, people will give to projects. So you got to come up with a project, you know, come up with a project. People give. Hold on. People truly give when they give to the Lord. Is that project something that the Lord dictated to us to do? And if it is, let me tell you something. Somehow God will make a way. I could tell you this all day long and we are testimony to it. Every single time we get into trouble like recently and we have problems, I don't come on the air and start begging for this project and that and airtime here and airtime there and cost. And I just say, thank you for giving, just letting you know. May God speak to your heart and let you know because I trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Now that doesn't occur to everybody, but the people who know who I'm talking about, people who are partners of this ministry, thank you for giving to the Lord. Because this is not my work. It's not my wife's work. It's not my son or my daughter's work. This is the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today, my segment is actually a continuation from Friday's episode, where we compared the banquet scene in Proverbs chapter 9 to the spiritual food God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But today, I want to focus specifically on the wine element. 
And in Proverbs 9, Lady Wisdom offers up her figurative wine. Now, what's interesting is that this wine isn't just normal wine, but rather it's mixed or mingled. And my question is, what is this special concoction? Well, let's study. In Proverbs 9, we find Lady Wisdom preparing a banquet for those who are simple and have no sense. In her preparations, she has slaughtered her meat, mixed her wine, and furnished her table. Certainly, this proverb pictures a very special occasion. Indeed, in the ancient East, freshly butchered meat was a mark of a feast. And we also notice that Wisdom's wine isn't typical either, but has been mixed or mingled. Just what this drink refers to exactly isn't known, but there are some cultural clues. For example, some scholars believe that this means wine diluted with water, which was a common practice in the ancient world. In fact, wine was diluted with water as much as 1 to 8 to reduce its power to intoxicate. It has been claimed that in most, if not all, cases where mixed wine is spoken of in the Bible, wine mingled with water is meant. In support of this claim, Isaiah 121 is often cited, where the prophet declares, Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water. But Isaiah here is speaking not of wine which is ordinarily drank at feasts, but of wine that is deteriorated in quality. God's people had become debased, they were like wine mixed with water. Furthermore, there are several biblical passages that speak of mixed wine that seem to refer to wine that has been strengthened, not weakened. Based upon this, some suggest that the mixed wine of Proverbs 9 refers simply to old wine that has been stored in jars and has become strong from mingling with its own sediments. However, the majority of scholars believe that this wine was mixed with spices and other ingredients to give it a better and more appealing taste. This view appears to have the most cultural support. For instance, according to the 19th century reverend James Freeman, the Greeks and Latins always understood mixed wine to be wine diluted with water, but the Hebrews generally understood it to mean wine made stronger and more intoxicating by the addition of other ingredients such as honey, spices, myrrh, mandragora, opiates, other drugs, and even boiled down reductions of the wine itself. Also, based upon the celebratory feast setting of Proverbs 9, it would seem that the mixed or mingled wine here does indeed refer to wine mixed with additional ingredients in order to make it tastier, a conclusion also fully in line with the original Hebrew language. Indeed, the definition of the Hebrew word here translated mixed or mingled means to mingle or mix, especially wine with spices. Thus culturally, contextually, and etymologically this view is consistent, and it even makes sense from a scriptural perspective. The food and drink offered by wisdom is the very same food and drink offered by Christ Jesus, which is his body and blood. This feast is an image of the kingdom of God, and so we would certainly expect it not only to look and smell attractive, but also to be of the highest quality and taste. So probably the type of wine that the writer of this proverb had in mind was a wine mixed with spices and or other ingredients to make it tastier. Because as I mentioned at the end of the segment, this whole banquet setting is a symbolic representation of the kingdom of God. And so we would definitely expect this feast to not only look and smell attractive, but also to be of the highest quality and taste. And this whole feast setting with its lovely aroma also reminds me of Paul's portrayal of believers spreading the aroma of Jesus Christ in a triumphal procession in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you haven't read that passage before, then I really encourage you to do that. 
And these are powerful images of greater spiritual realities. I think it's important to remember that uh, the wine was significant. And recently we saw images off of Amir Safati's uh, newsfeed and the images were of wine that had spilled out. And what was it, two million liters? It was yeah, I don't remember the exact number, but it was it was significant. It was flowing, yeah. flowing down the streets. And it was just, it looked yeah. like a flood. Yeah, it, it did. wine flowing down the streets and it was absolutely amazing. And I, I, I think, you know, because the wine always represented a significance to the Lord. He turned water into wine in the first wedding, the first of his miracles and all that. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thank you, Ryan. Corey? All right, so I wanted to share a little bit about John chapter 12. Uh, and um, I'm gonna share some things that I've been reading. I've been reading through the IVP Bible background commentary. It's done by the scholar Craig Keener, and it is fabulous. We don't have it here, we don't offer it, but if you are looking for a new Bible commentary on the New Testament, I would highly recommend that one. It is in, it's so interesting. So it's the IVP Bible background commentary where uh, Craig Keener focuses in on the cultural background of the New Testament. So it's really helpful. But he had some really interesting things to say that really got me thinking about this, um, this anointing of Mary that we read about in John 12. So Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, which I mean, you've heard uh, you dad teach on today, you know, she and Anoints, anoints Jesus's feet with an incredible amount of very costly perfume. So the first thing that he brought my attention to was the status, this unknown status of Mary in her culture, right? So she's only described as the sister of Martha and Lazarus. No uh, husband is mentioned, no children are mentioned. And we know that she lived with Martha and Lazarus. So it stands to reason that in the absence of a husband, Mary was either very young or widowed or divorced, or perhaps she was, an, and this would be a very rare situation, an unmarried adult female. Uh, so we don't know which of these things she was, but, but these are the options available to us, either very young, widowed, divorced, or in a very rare circumstance, unmarried. But regardless, women's hair was treated with great care in that culture, Jewish women's hair specifically. Married women always had their hair covered to uncover to anyone else would, would have been uh, a shame on them and their husbands. And the text doesn't say that Mary uncovered her hair, which is interesting. So again, she may have been young, widowed, or divorced. But moving on from the status of Mary, we know that guests of importance in this culture were, uh, uh, they were often, uh, they were offered water to wash their feet when they, you know, the guests of importance, they were coming over, they were gonna eat, and often their servants would be the ones touching their feet. I mean, it stands to reason that that would have been done with their hands, right? Not with their hair. But instead, Mary does the washing, not with water, but with a ridiculous amount of expensive perfume. Um, you know, Keener goes into uh, a pound of this stuff was probably about 12 ounces. Now I'm a mom of a baby, so I know, you know, a bottle, standard bottle size is eight ounces. That's a cup of liquid. So this is a cup plus of liquid and the standard flask of perfume at the time was about one ounce. So this was 12 times the size of a normal container of perfume and it was worth about a year's wages of the standard worker. So this is a very extravagant way to wash someone's feet. And again, she doesn't use her hands, she uses her hair, right? So 
Arguably, these things were the best things in Mary's possession, her hair that was culturally prized and that she kept. And this perfume that was so important to her, it could have even been a family heirloom. It was so prized that she was holding onto. Uh, now, why? Again, I think that Mary was offering the best of, the, of herself and of the things that she had. And probably because Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem at Passover as the King of Israel, as the Messiah. We see what's the next account, the triumphal entry where other people are accepting Jesus as King uh, of Israel, as the Messiah. But there is an irony here, as Keener points out in his commentary, it wasn't just kings who were anointed with oil, it was also dead bodies that were anointed with perfumes. Uh, and Jesus himself, he brings out this parallel, right? Although the parallel of a king is, is implied in the text, but Jesus says, no, she leave her alone, she has kept this for my burial. So Jesus, although he's being welcomed as king, as Messiah, and that may be what Mary intended this for, anointing him as king with the very best that she had to offer. Now, uh, Jesus says, oh, but this is for my burial. He draws that parallel that is going to be his body. So just some thoughts uh, that I thought I would share with you. That's a really good commentary. You like it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it because it really goes into the different cultural connections and the backdrop of, uh, you know, first century Roman Judea. Uh, that that Jesus was was a part of. Yeah, very very interesting. Thank you, Corey. That's mm -hmm. excellent, Janice. Yes, supper with Jesus was what I titled this uh, segment of mine. John chapter twelve is what I was looking at, and um, as we're we're talking about the anointing at Bethany, and of course this chapter really does focus on what Corey was just uh, explaining to us with this special anointing that Mary did. But I thought, oh gracious, the lives of this family were drastically changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read this passage again, it reminded me of Revelation 3.20. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We begin... Uh, John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus is now sitting at the table. He's with Jesus and he's alive. The man that was dead is now alive. There they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So we've already said, Lazarus's life was completely transformed by Jesus, wasn't it? He was raised from the dead and is now sitting at the dinner table with Jesus. And who is serving? His sister, Martha. Do you remember back in contrast with Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38 to 42, it, it talks about Mary and Martha's worship and service. Do you remember? Um, um, it says here in verse 39, I think that's where we can start. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So this is the Mary that anointed Jesus' feet. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. What a change 
in Martha's life now. We see that they have invited Jesus into their home. Her brother Lazarus was the one that Jesus raised from the dead. And now Martha, who was earlier complaining because her sister wasn't helping her to serve, now is gladly serving the Lord Jesus with her brother sitting there alive sitting at the table. And then we have contrast with John 11, verse 32, where Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, has died. And Jesus has come, but they think it's too late because he's already dead. And Mary comes running. She says, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And now her sister Martha is serving in joy and thankfulness to Jesus, made him a supper, sat and served while her brother who was once dead is now alive and eating with the Lord Jesus. And then Mary enters and kneels down and offers Jesus the best of what she has because her, her life has been transformed by the Lord Jesus. And not only her life, but her sister and her brother and her community of friends and family. And Rod, it just reminds me of, of the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we open up to him and we allow him to move, there are things that we don't understand. You know, Mary and Martha, even his disciples at that time, thought it was too late that Lazarus had died and Jesus purposely stayed behind. His sisters thought it was too late and yet they still loved him. They still believed in him. They believed in the resurrection. And yet Jesus worked this amazing miracle in Lazarus's life. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus today. He's the same today as he was in the past and the same he will be in the future. Trust and believe on him. He will change your life dramatically. We have Bible Discovery TV Network, and it is available on the Roku box. That's a great box. It's also available on all of the other material, the, the Fire Stick and all of that too. So make sure that you look for it online. You can watch it 24-7, our programs and everything else. Today we need to pray. Let's pray this way. Lord, I want to faithfully give as I should. Help me to do that as we give today in Jesus' name. Amen.